Hi, this is Aaron Green, co-founder of EasySongLicensing.com, and you are listening to The Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to The Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this show was created to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every month, so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app that you use to listen to your podcast, whether that be iTunes or Google or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or Spotify, all the places you can find us, and I'm so glad that you are here. This is episode seven, and we're going to get a bit nerdy into this topic, but that's what makes this podcast practical, digging into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to lead a great worship ministry. And our guest today is Aaron Green. He's the co-founder of the website EasySongLicensing.com, and he has become my go-to guy for everything related to song licensing and how we use copyrighted material in our church services. I first met Aaron because I did not use his service. Our church was putting together a live worship CD, and I was in the process of securing the mechanical licenses for each of the songs, and I was like, how hard can this be? I did this back in college. I felt like I was up to speed on the law. It was just a straight nine cents per song per copy, but I quickly learned figuring out who to pay to license the use of their song can be a headache. And death was arrested. I'm talking to you with your five writers and your six music publishers and your three administrators, but but still a great song. And I love you, so no hard feelings. Many of us are familiar with CCLI, which helps us cover the basics of a typical worship service with lyrics on the screen or printing off chord charts or live streaming our services. They make it so easy that we don't have to think about it. But what about making a live CD like our church did? What about creating a YouTube video covering someone else's song or using the audio from someone else's version of a song in your video? What about including a Toby Mac song in the youth group recap slideshow video that you show in your service? What about creating a, a parody of a Megan Trainer song? This is outside the realm of CCLI, and it's where things can get a little bit crazy, and ignorance of the law is not an option. And Aaron and his company, EasySongLicensing.com. They have been handling music licensing for over 10 years, and he has a lot of wisdom and insight when it comes to using someone else's copyrighted works and what kind of protections are available for you as a content creator. Like I said, we're going to get a little bit white and nerdy, hashtag Weird Al Yankovic reference, but Aaron knows his stuff inside and out, and we need to make sure that we're not leading our worship ministries into legal issues down the road. But first, the product of the month is Soundstripe. I mentioned a second ago about that youth group recap slideshow video, you know, where they go on a mission trip and then they come back with a bunch of photos and they want to show all those photos in a service. And then someone puts that to like a Toby Mac song or a Casting Crown song or Switchfoot song or something like that. In many cases, you actually can't do that. When you take someone else's copyrighted song and then sync it up with a video, a whole new host of rules come into play. So now the question becomes, Where can you find music that you can use in these videos? Or many of us might be putting together baptism videos where someone shares their testimony before they get baptized in our service, and we show that video in our service, and we want some music that kind of fits the mood of the story that they're telling. Or even just, where can you find instrumental music that you can play as pre-service music in your services? Well, Soundstripe is just $15 a month, and what you can do is go on there, and once you pay that 
$15 a month, you can download unlimited number of songs for whatever projects you're working on. You just type in certain keywords. Like if you're looking for songs that are quirky or inspiring or hopeful or mysterious or anxious, you just type that in there. If you're looking for a particular kind of genre, whether it be a rock song or a pop song, um, something with strings, something that's EDM, you can type that in. Even just the pacing. If you want something that's a fast-paced song or a slow-paced song, you put all that into Soundstripe, and it'll give you back a list of songs that you can click on and listen to and find music for the projects that you're working on. And it's royalty-free, which means once you download it, you can use it however you'd like in the projects that you're doing. You don't have to get a special contract for a specific project with a specific audience and all that kind of stuff that happens with royalty music. Soundstripe is the number one source where I find music for all the projects that I'm working on. If you hear music in any of my YouTube videos or in this podcast, there is a high probability that that music came from Soundstripe. I'll put a link to their website in the show notes. In fact, if you want information on any of the things that we mentioned in this episode, it's simple. Just go to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast seven. And now here's my conversation with Aaron Green. Well, Aaron Green, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. I okay. First off, how does someone wake up one day and say, "I'm going to start a music licensing company"? Like, <laughs> what, how how do you get to that point in your life? Ever since I was five years old, I wanted to be a licensing agent, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you would ask for gifts at Christmas. I, you know, Mom, I just want a mechanical license for Christmas. Oh, I got my ASCAP membership. Oh, that's all I wanted for third grade. That's it. Done. <laughs> um. Well, back when uh, just fresh out of college, I actually um, I actually graduated from the University of Minnesota Duluth, and I had a double major in business management and Spanish. Have nothing really to do with music outside of being quite the music snob and appreciator. So, um, one of my childhood friends, his name is Mark Mickle, and he's he's kind of an entrepreneur. Always was, always ha- will be. He he was a piano teacher. And one of his students, um, you know, that, that he, he grew really close, close with the family. And the, the father runs a place called Discount Steel here in Minneapolis. And this is a pretty big operation. This is, you know, you're talking your 15 to $20 million steel company here. And his daughter Rose happened to be Mark's, you know, you know student. And Mark was at U, the U of M, University of Minnesota at the time. And um, he had an assignment uh, where he had to um, ask another entrepreneur and present a business idea and kind of write up a whole report about it. And so he, he talked to John Dormanen, who still runs Discount Steel. Um, he, he told him about, about our first business, Legacy Productions, um, and which really is an idea about recording schools and churches and making fundraisers and making a, you know, doing a one-stop shop kind of thing. John looked at him instantly after about an hour of conversation said, I'm going to be your angel investor. Go find yourself a salesman. Wow. (laughs) Mark comes to me with this idea in his little dorm room and he didn't even have to ask me. He was literally, he was middle of like his third or fourth sentence. And he says, I want to, I want to start up this company and I need, and and, and, uh, and I'm like, oh, stop right there. I'm in. <laughs> I love the idea. Because and, and what we did is we started Legacy Productions, 
and that was in uh, 2004. And um, really, the what Legacy Productions, which closed down about three, we officially closed closed this down about three years ago. But the idea, this whole that whole time, we ran that business for over a decade, and it's recording schools and churches with no upfront cost. We handle all licensing expenses. We we have fabulous sound engineers you'd work with. We do the post editing, mixing, and mastering. We have our own graphic design artist, um, and we would produce CDs. You know, back when CDs were were quite fashionable, and they'd sell them as fundraisers, and we do a whole pre-ordering system. So, I mean, I, I mean, I it's it was after a decade. I mean, I was thrown the keys at a kind of an early age. I mean, I was 22 years old and with a blank spreadsheet, and then you know we all of a sudden we, we I mean we we had to learn licensing like anybody else along the way and study the law. We know we started developing a relationship with publishers and. Basically, fast forward to about 2008, my my business partner Mark developed EasySongLicensing.com, and we started just handling mechanical compulsory licensing for our non-legacy customers. So the whole game changes about four years ago when Limelight goes out of business. So Limelight was the other major competitor to Harry Fox. We were around the whole time, but let's just say we weren't nearly on the stage as Limelight or Harry Fox. So they go out of business, and we had an excellent system in place, a website, a great process. We were were fast, good customer service, but, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where it's not what you know or who you know. So about four years ago, Limelight goes out of business. All of a sudden, we finally get a call from, from some business development managers from CD Baby, and, you know, you start chatting, and... They like what they heard, and they, they said, can you handle volume? I mean, we have like 500,000 indie artists plus. And, of course, us just say, being brash, say, absolutely, of course we can. That's the Bill Gates answer. Of course we can. Sure. Can we do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you know, again, if we had the system down. But, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, to us, compulsory mechanical licensing is like brushing our teeth. It's we're very familiar with the law at this point. This isn't like back in 2004. Um, you know, so we, we developed a lot over the years and we've already answered any licensing question you could possibly ever ask when it comes to mechanicals or anything that's non-compulsory, non-mechanical. And as soon as we got them, everything just started changing. We had to hire more people. Um, yes, you, you go from having about 10 to 15,000 users to about, 30 to 35,000 overnight. And then to this day, we have, we, we just reached the 50,000 user mark. So we're pretty proud about that. Pretty excited. That's, and, and I, and I love the things that you're doing. And it's, it seems like that over time that as you were trying to help churches with all kinds of elements of production, whether it be recording and whatever, there was this one piece, this, this licensing, this music licensing piece that it often gets neglected, but is very important. And I think that, uh, worship pastors, myself included, we just, we get so spoiled with CCLI because CCLI, CCLI has made it incredibly easy to handle the licensing when it comes to the normal logistics of a service. If you need to put the lyrics on your screen or, you know, to uh, have the, the the charts or if you put it in your handout, if you uh, do a live stream of your service, all of the normal things that a church is going to do, even, you know, if you're going to make a recording that you're going to give to shut-ins, 
uh, you know, for that purpose. They have all that stuff figured out and handled, and you just pay your fee based on your size, and they do all the messy stuff in between as far as making sure that, you know, Brian Houston and uh, Chris Tomlin and all those cats get their money. But because they make it so easy, when we start diving into areas that they don't cover, mm-hmm. then, you know, then it's like, like then you like, like the, the, it's not a mess, but I mean, it's just like the complexity of what's really going on under the hood of something like CCLI. All of a sudden, that becomes exposed, and when and and the concern is that I think sometimes a lot of churches don't realize it is until it's too late when they get a letter or they get a phone call, and all of a sudden, you know, they're being sued for you know how many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're like, "But I thought I was covered. I thought I was okay." And you know, there's there's when it comes to the law, when it comes to things like this, you can't. There's not. There's not room to mess around. Absolutely not. No. Um, <laughs> our legal counsel has always said it best: ignorance never holds up in court. Yes. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's a fact that the, the problem is it's, it's not just with worship pastors because we do work with lots of churches, lots of nonprofits, and. CCLI and Christian Copyright Solutions, they've been very generous on anything that they don't handle. They've been very—it's not that we're tattooed on their website, but for their customer service reps, they have done a very good job of referring a lot of business over to us, too, over the years. And obviously, we greatly appreciate that. But the problem is a lot of people don't look at music as a tangible object. I mean, it's not just music. I mean, everyone's spoiled ever since Napster. I mean— People don't look at, I mean, just because you want to drive a Cadillac doesn't mean you can just go to a car dealership, hop in without paying and drive it around the lot just because you want to. And you feel you feel like it's your, you know, you, you earned it or it's your own entitlement. No, people don't associate going into a grocery store, you know, and taking a piece of bread and running right out, you know, because to feed your starving family. Um, music copyright, same kind of thing. It is a product. It is a very valuable product, and it's, I mean, you talk to any publisher, you know, and you try to use fair use, again, that's that's not going to take you very far under U.S. copyright law and other copyright laws in other territories throughout the world. So you have to look at it as you buying a car, you buying some bread, you buying something that you would never steal. God forbid, you would never, I mean, you would never steal shoes from a shoe store and just put them on and run right out. You wouldn't do the problem is we don't look at it the same way and get to educate. <laughs> Let's talk about beyond the normal Sunday morning logistics that, you know, obviously that CCLI covers. What are some areas that you see churches that are, that they might get into that are, I guess maybe normal and expected, but are maybe beyond a little bit of the, the Sunday morning service. Where do you see churches getting into uncharted territory that they need to be concerned about? Well, I can tell you exactly because, okay, so first right off the bat, when people do fundraisers, they want to make a CD or you want to make a digital download album and you want to you want to go sell it and you, you want to benefit ABC charity, that kind of thing. Um a lot of people, and, and even if they're, t- even if it's not a fundraiser, I want to record an album, and I want, I'm going to just give it out. I'm going to give it out for free distribution. And I know CCLI they cover X amount, but let's just say you go beyond that threshold or beyond a publisher that they don't represent. Um, by all means, with free distribution, still requires mechanical licensing. Um, now, again, for shut-ins and other kind of church purposes or 
you have a prospect of family that comes visits and you want to drop in an, a download card or an album to help promote the church when they come visit. Sure. I know, I know there's some areas with CCLI that, that can help you out with that. But for the most part, even with, you know, whenever you distribute period, you typically need a mechanical license. Um, that's for audio only releases. Two big areas that I see church needs are one is synchronization licensing. That's for any video or visual representation of a copyright of words and lyrics you didn't write in the first place. Okay. Number two would be grand rights or theatrical rights or churches that do Christmas musicals or Easter musicals. Um, with grand rights, this is a whole different type of process, but still requires permission from the songwriter administration. So let me back up a, a few a few minutes here. Um, there's always two sides of the coin whenever you deal with any type of permission. You got the master sound recording side. That's that represents the record label that you're using, or are you re-recording all your own instrumentals and vocals? Okay. So that's the master side, which is usually held by either a large publisher that owns a bunch of record labels, or it is a record label. So master sound recording, one side, the other side of the coin is what we call the songwriter administration, the publishing side. That represents the song's composition. It's the actual intellectual rights, the lyrics and the melody. And those are two sides of the equation when you're talking about mechanical rights for audio-only releases. It's for synchronization rights. Like you want to make a DVD of your, of your uh, church performance. DVD sync licensing is not the same as mechanical licensing. One's audio, one's video. With video, you need special permission. And there's and you I mean, we run our own custom division where we work with all these publishers on the ground floor. And we're obviously here to make sure we can get this done as cheap as possible, or at least try to get you approved in the first place. So a lot of churches and you know, we're talking about also, you know, making people, you know, making films and you know, posting on YouTube and you know, all this kind of thing. Um a lot of churches assume that that with YouTube, everything is covered under what we call user-generated content. And yes, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of publishers that do have blanket agreements with YouTube. Um, and but not every single songwriter belongs to this. Not every publisher has these agreements in place. But assuming you're not, assuming you're just recording a live performance. Let's just say your children's choir is performing. There's no branding involved. Like we're talking no logos. You're not selling a product or a service. And there's no like website, like, you know, inside the footage or buy this here. Typically, that's what we call user generated content. That's usually allowed with YouTube. But again, it also depends on are you OK with having ads pop up before your YouTube uh, video starts? Um, are you monetizing or not monetizing it? I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily, I mean, there are some publishers that are quite against YouTube. <laughs> um, and there's some, you know, there's some large publishers that know it's perfectly fine. Um, the more ads I can run on your channel, the more it feeds our monster. And we're happy that way. So we'll claim your monetization. But I always stress to people, talk to, I, I talk to a professional first. Because sometimes you don't know the right questions, but we do. <laughs> like, for example, if you're using original master sound recording in your YouTube video, that can get flagged. That can You can get in trouble with things like that. Or you might slip through the cracks or you're under the radar. But um, 
you know, but for example, DVD and internet streaming sync licensing is very common with my church clients. Very common. So, let, okay. So let's go there. This idea, like the video sync licensing, you know, I, I know a lot of churches that either want to use that content and then they stream it out or make a DVD or the infamous youth trip recap video. So, I mean, how does that, how does that play out in terms of copyright law? Absolutely. Um, my answer is anytime there's a visual representation, you typically need permission. When I say typically, YouTube is kind of on their own island. And again, it depends on it's it, it depends on who we're dealing with, what songwriter administration, what are you promoting or not promoting in the video? Um, are, are, you, are you displaying lyrics or music notation in the video? Are you sampling any original master that you don't own? Um I mean, normally this is what we call a sync license. And what a lot of churches don't know necessarily understand is that if you're if we're working, let's just say with a Christian music publisher, like let's just say Capital, Capital CMG, arguably the largest Christian music publisher in the world. Um, sometimes all you have to do is ask, and they say, Great, that's fine. My sync I, I have my own sync rep at Capital, they say fine, or they they can make it very small, like it's a it's a fifteen dollar fee per year or twenty five dollar fee or you know what just share the YouTube link with us we'll claim monetization we'll avoid a sync fee but we get something in writing that's the point yeah I'm not a lawyer but I have to operate like one you don't assume yeah <laughs> educate not litigate that's that's what I like to do but it, I, again but if you're dealing with Sony Sony ATV the largest music publisher in the world. They do not give out free permission, what we call per gratis. <laughs> um, can we get a reduced rate? Absolutely. Is there is there a scenario where there's certain songwriter administrations under their blanket that belong to the YouTube blanket deal? Yeah, absolutely. It's what we call again user generated content. But again, I have a whole laundry. I have a laundry list of questions I ask my church clients or any client when we're talking about video. And you have to put that to me in writing. We can chat over the phone, but there's so many there's so many questions that you didn't think about that I will ask. <laughs> and 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 again, I'm here. I I'd rather be the bad guy and say, listen, this is going to get really expensive and really tough to pull off. Or someone is just changing lyrics. You're making a derivative, you know, and it, and it can be with a very large brand name that maybe has a zero tolerance rule with it. I mean. Again, it's like the Wild West. I don't know until we dive in, and it's not necessarily the same rule with every single publisher and administration. Some are more flexible than others, absolutely. And the thing with YouTube is that with like Content ID, I know this as being a YouTuber myself, You know, they created Content ID and the ability to uh, to figure out if that song is copyrighted and to make it kind of easy because they had to. Yep. Because there were so many people that were uploading cover videos and whatnot. So they, you know, in order for YouTube to sustain itself, they had to solve this problem in, in a hurry. But so on the, like on the sync rights, as far as like, you know, making a video and including someone else's, you know, music or whatever, if you're making a promo video, why wouldn't, why would someone else not want you to do that? So what a lot of people don't understand, there's, there's a few sides of the equation here. One, it's one of the publisher's policies about your type of usage. Two, the next island is what, what's the songwriter camp's policies about, about video or your distribution usage? Number three, what's the relationship between the publisher and the songwriter administration? Not necessarily the same thing. Sometimes Sony has full power of attorney and they can make decisions over certain copyrights, but what you're going to find out is a lot of times, you know, if you're making a promotional video, it's not as simple as my sync rep 
over at Sony or Capital or Universal saying yes or no. It's them screening us, then assuming we assuming we all the stars align there, they go to the songwriter camp to get official approval. And there's some babysitting that goes involved here. And but um, the reason that you may get denied or accepted is, you know, first off, what's the term? What how are you representing the copyright? Um, Dave, you and I chatted about this, uh, you know, the last time we chatted. But what if what if you're what if a Christian is doing a parody on like, let's just say a non-Christian band like like let's just throw out like a like maybe a hard rock band that's re- renownedly non-Christian and they want to make a promotional video of their work. Well, those songwriters may if, if, assuming they're not Christian, um, they may not want their work represented in a secular fashion. And vice versa. Um, what if it's a really hard rock band that's that wants to do a video, or you know, uh, or, or or maybe they're they're representing something that that goes against a Christian publisher's beliefs? What if what if I'm an indie filmmaker and I'm making I'm making a video, you know, about about like Santa Claus not mentioning Jesus once? Maybe that goes that, that that's very strictly prohibited with that songwriter administration. So it's definitely how they feel they're being represented. Also, there might be a minimum a minimum dollar threshold. Sadly, like a one year sync agreement. Let's just say you want to go on. Um, you're, you're making a commercial on your on your website, and you want to you you want to play a Chris Tomlin song in the background, um, and you know we have to go out and get master and sync rights because you want to use the original master sound recording. Um, they might say, well, listen, we do believe in your cause, but Mr. Tomlin's camp needs a, I mean, for a one year term, our minimum is a thousand dollars a year or 5,000 or 500 bucks a year. And that's the minimum. Cause we get a lot of Christians, you know, maybe a lot of Christian bands or, you know, licensees who ask us every single day and we can't say yes to everybody. And that may not necessarily be Chris Tomlin's choice. It might be some of the people that are around that are that he's working with with publishing companies. It's not just his mouth that he's feeding. There's a whole team of people. Absolutely, it could be his lawyer completely through his lawyer. Chris Tomlin might have be none the wiser about this, or you know, yeah, yeah. There's it's and also at the same time th- there might be something on the publishing side because the publisher gets a cut too. The publisher. Is 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 the direct contact? They're kind of like the bulldogs here. They're the, they're like the security guards, and their clients are the songwriters, songwriter administrations. And again, there's some copyrights where publisher has full full power. They can say, "Yep, A, B, C, D, and E all line up. That looks great. The money lines up. The term, everything. Yep, okay, sounds good." And there'll be a sync agreement, something like that. But again. Why you get accepted or denied? And sometimes we don't get an answer. Sometimes people, like for example, changing or adding lyrics, that can be a big no-no with certain administrations. It's derivatives are not necessarily easy to get approved. I mean, I'm not saying they're impossible, but you know, are you doing a straight cover? Did the publishing side say yes? But then you went to the label side, representing the original master sound recording, and that side, nope, that money doesn't line up properly. So these stars all have to align. And we actually run a division where we have to balance all, we have all these juggling balls in the air. We have to do all, we do all that for you. And it's, it's not easy and we can never make a guarantee. We can never speak on behalf of any, any rights holder since we're a third party, you know? 
So lots of uncertainty. It's not, it's not a sure thing. I mean, when you're talking about mechanical rights, let's just say that you just want to release an audio-only product. You're not changing or adding lyrics, and, you know, and, 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 and you're, you're covering a song that has already been released in an audio-only product at some point. It's not someone off YouTube that's only been on YouTube. Um, assuming you're abiding by all the steps of compulsory law, private listening to the end user, audio only, same lyrics, you create, you, you're not sampling any master audio. Well, then it's automatic permission under, under U.S. copyright law for U.S. copyrights, um, where we don't need permission. We simply need to know where to file it, register it, pay the proper royalties. And yeah, it's, it's much different for mechanical. All right. Are you ready for the bonus round? We're going to switch things up. I got my, uh, what do you call under the football helmet when you put the, the paint on underneath the eye, the eyes, uh, the, the eye black? Yeah, and, and with John 316? Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely all the classic, oh my gosh. Yeah, oh. you know, Job or Corinthians or something like that, it's always done. All right, okay, <laughs> get that on. Okay, we're doing bonus round in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Early riser. Hmm. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Netflix. Uh, we're gonna say Stranger Things. I'll just say Stranger Things. That that's a good safe bet. Cat or dog? Cat. Favorite social network? None. <laughs> I let me clarify that we have we have our own Facebook page, but someone else manages that. I'll say that I'm not a social media guy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what is something that you do every day, no matter what? Uh, I, I I kiss my wife and my kids. If you could give a TED Talk, what would it be about? A TED Talk, it would be about transparency, as cliche as that sounds. It'd be about how to sell and how to look someone in the eye and tell the truth. What is a hidden talent that only a few people know that you have? I can do a movie. I, you, know, you know the narrator with the, 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 the movie narrator who comes up with trailers? Yeah. <clears throat> one man, one mission. The mob wanted in, and now it's personal. That's awesome! That is so good. That was spot on. We, you might get some calls on that. All right, bonus round. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about um, let's talk about parodies for a second, if we can, because I think that you know that that can be a big topic where you know we see someone like Weird Al Yankovic that um, you know they go out and they make an entire career on this. There's several people on YouTube that do it. Even you know in Christian circles, uh, there was the band Apologetics, and there you know where you take a song and under fair use it says I can do a parody. So what with your understanding of the law, like how how does that play out? I want to know whenever someone asks me this question, and again, we do have a hotline people call and they, and we're happy. And again, that does separate us. I, I get this question a lot. People like to throw out fair use. My next, my next question, I answer the question with a question. I say, well, what's your end product? What are you doing exactly? Are you, are you a comedian up doing stand up? Are you performing the song live or is something being recorded? Are you making a video? Are you making an audio only product? Um, I always want to know what do you, what's the end product? Is it is this social and news commentary? Are, are you a news anchor? I mean, th- th- it's a loaded question. Um, 
so so when they say I'm, I'm making a video and I'm changing lyrics, I said, well, it's up to the rights holder to come after you if they want. <laughs> if uh, if you're making an audio only product and you're trying to be Weird Al Yankovic and you're you know, well, they always say, well, Weird Al can do it. I said, well, he's definitely got a team around him, and let's just say that the, everything that comes back from publishing income is quite lucrative to these publishers. So it's usually an easy yes, um, but the average person cannot record an album and start changing lyrics without permission for songs they never wrote in the first place that i mean the only time they can do that is if it's a if it's if it's um you know public domain something that was published before 1923 at least in the US um that that that's the only time you can change lyrics but no fair use will not hold up in court it will not if you're making an audio or video product like that absolutely not and I, I think a great story, I remember one of the first times we talked, uh, we talked specifically about that Cloverton derivative of the letter Conan song, Hallelujah, and made the Christmas. And I remember it was last year where that was all over K-Love and radio, you know, Christian radio and all this talk about it. And then one day it all went silent. Yep. It just, just gone. And so, and you, you kind of have some insight on that. Like, you know, so explain to us like what happened and, and how did it start? And yeah, I, I actually do have inside information. I, I actually had the privilege. Well, I, I never connect with this individual and I won't mention his name, but, um, the, one of, uh, one of the writers of that derivative in Cloverton who's part of Cloverton and, um, they, they came to us to try to get that, try, try to get that secured. Um, and you know, you're talking, I mean, you're talking Leonard Cohen, you're talking Sony and you're talking hallelujah. The copyright is arguably one of the most covered songs of all time. One of the most requested songs of all time. I mean, it resonates with so many different people on so many different levels, spiritually and non-spiritually. And, um, and this is even, this is before of, uh, of Leonard Cohen's passing, but I've had a million people ask to get a derivative done on Hallelujah. And sadly, I mean, the melody is just so gorgeous. The lyrics, I mean, the, the fundamentals of that song are is just, it's so perfect in so many ways. But the problem is, is that the Cohen estate and Leonard Cohen himself, they're vehemently against lyric changes. Same thing with all of Sony. Sony is probably one of the hardest publishers to work with when it comes to derivatives. Not, I mean, the, the only thing that they'll approve typically unless you're coming unless you're nike or you come with a really significant budget is um like like translations into other languages which you do need permission for you want to do hallelujah in spanish well that still needs permission direct translations have a better shot but not guaranteed but when you're completely taking taking it onto a different tone and you know you you're you're really going full christian force I mean, Cloverton did, we all know they did a great job. And my gosh, don't you kind of wish they actually wrote the song? Yeah. In so many ways. But so, so I go to one of my, one of my main, my main reps at Sony, who's one of the higher ups there. He's, him and I have a very good relationship. We've done lots of deals and he's, he's done, we've done lots of great deals. He's also denied me plenty. And it's just, it's just the reality of the business. But he said, no, the Cohen estate is against lyric changes or additions. Can't do it. And, and he goes, and every time I, if I bring up Cloverton, he kind of sighs. <sighs> yeah. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> A. And number two, we keep seeing these YouTube videos pop up of, of the same one. 
And we keep having to take all of them down and sending out copyright infringement. Now, do some slip through the cracks? Sure. He goes, but but it's just a matter of time. I do have people that monitor this. And he goes, yes, we're aware that, that people feel very strongly and passionate about this, but this they don't own it. Just like driving, this is a privilege. This isn't like an automatic entitlement permission. And sadly, this all falls under U.S. copyright law. You cannot change or add lyrics without permission. And sadly, this is one of the law, you know, it goes with Beatles songs or Michael Jackson or Elvis or Bob Dylan. I have, I have an excellent relationship with Bob Dylan's publisher. They're flexible on so many levels, but <laughs> in their minds, you're changing or adding a Bob Dylan song. That's like you changing the Bible. And I would argue that, you know, if you want to say the king of the parody, Weird Al Yankovic, I know there was a lot of opportunities where he wanted to do a Bob Dylan parody and it's just, it never happened. The best he could do was he could do like a stylistic, you know, he'd do something that would look like him. Like he would put on a wig and he'd do the infamous hold the cards and throw the cards, you know. And that was about the best he could do. Prince was another one where he wanted to do all these different covers of, of Prince. And Prince is like, no way. And it's just, it's how that artist feels about that particular song. And, 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 and they're the only ones that can make that decision unless they unless they've sold the rights. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just there's no way around. It. And again, people can keep popping up videos with it. But if you ever see if you ever hear anybody release an audio only product for that, I can guarantee you they do not have permission. That's one I can speak on behalf of the publisher. I can tell you because there'll be people that come to the table and say, I want to change this Beatles song. Can you help me get this done? I have about five to ten K to do. I said, not enough. Not going to work. You're, 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 whenever you, it's the bigger the brand, the bigger the mountain you're going after. And Leonard Cohen is the, one of the songwriter of all songwriters in American history. I mean, it, and, and, but yeah, it doesn't matter how beautiful the song. It's, it's, it's I beholder. It's, it's, it's whoever owns the whoever holds the cards. And this is this is a checkered story. And maybe maybe one day this changes. Maybe the Cohen estate has a has a change of heart. Who knows? But it's not happening anytime soon. Sadly. So I feel like I need to make this disclaimer. I think Aaron and I actually disagree a little bit on what is protected under fair use. I've used clips of movies and TV shows in my YouTube videos claiming fair use. And I just finished up a project this summer where I recorded two parodies for the local fire department and their elementary school safety awareness program. However, I think I'm coming from a place of what I feel was intended when fair use was put into place in 1976 in the areas of education and commentary and even criticism. And Aaron is coming from a place of what he has seen over the last decade come through the court systems year after year after year of doing this for me. And again, this is just my opinion. I think a little bit of it is the big, large companies like Sony and Capital that can maybe bully smaller creators in these gray areas where interpretation of the law is required. You might actually have a case against one of these large companies, but it's going to cost you an insane amount of time and money and energy. And a lot of times it's just not worth the fight. So you just give in to the cease and desist letter. But Aaron and I are on the same page in many ways. And like I said at the beginning of the show, he is my go-to guy when it comes to all things copyright licensing related. We have both seen way too many churches not be careful enough, either because they're just not aware of the law, like that the terms of service for Spotify does not allow you to stream a playlist as pre-music before your church service, or maybe even just a blatant disregard 
to the law. You have to put yourself in the shoes of these artists and these creators. Many of us are songwriters and content creators ourselves, and I'm sure we have opinions about how our works might be used by other people. I've done a few YouTube videos on this topic of music copyrights. One comes from my experience of securing all the mechanical licenses for a live CD. Another one comes from my experience with YouTube in general and its content ID system, which is how YouTube knows if you're using a copyrighted song or not in your video. And this becomes important when you start to live stream or or post your full service videos with the music to YouTube. There's actually a way to go into the back end of your YouTube channel and see what songs can and can't be used in your videos. For example, I recently created a video that talked about how to make edits of worship song recordings. And in the video, I actually play snippets of worship songs. So before I created the video as a content creator using someone else's copyrighted works, I had to research if that sound recording could actually be used in my YouTube video and if I could monetize that video before I included it as an example. I'm going to link up all of those videos plus the easysonglicensing.com website. Plus, I'll even link up those fire department parodies I was talking about. For someone that sings baritone, I think I did a pretty good job on my Justin Timberlake performance. Anyway, check it out. Those links are going to be in the show notes and you can find them by simply going to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast seven. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and being here. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. mission the mob wanted in and now it's personal